Well, hello, hello, and welcome to Waffle Free Storytelling. It's Tina Constant here, and you're joining me in another glorious guest edition where we get all the waffle. Now, in this conversation, I'm talking to Natasha Hausman, who is first of all going to tell us how she kicked off her family history and how her grandmother triggered it all. <laughs> then we're going to talk about her mission to bring the woman in her family tree to life. There are some incredible characters in that line. She also talks about the horrible accident, about one child shooting another. And uh, right at the end, oh my goodness, you're going to hear the very best conversation icebreaker you're ever going to hear. <laughs> so grab yourself a mug of something delicious, put your feet up, and join Natasha and I in this beautiful conversation. I'll see you inside. So let's just start at the very beginning right back to the start when you first thought oh my goodness i've got one hell of a family here Ugh. what was that trigger what, what what came into your mind and your heart to start exploring your beautiful story so the trigger was my grandma so my grandma <laughs> mary was a houseman before she married a houseman and it just you know that that story when people ask you you know what fact do we not know about you i always used to talk yeah. about being a double houseman yeah. um and she was also a family historian before family history was even a term yeah. so we used to spend endless hours as a child with large sheets of wallpaper backing paper kind of tracking out the cousins and the half cousins and even the third cousins mm -hmm. and I was lucky because on the other side on my mum's side my nana and grandpa um, both also knew a lot of family history and a lot of family stories mm -hmm. and they would bring out sort of photos and um, there was a particular great, great aunt of mine, Elsie Moody, who died when she was very young. She was only 17. And there's a beautiful, beautiful photo of her that um, my that the, my nana always used to say reminded uh, me that I reminded her of me. And it's it's sort of so all those stories were circulating within the family already. And I was able to sort of map those out as a child. Mm. And then I sort of put this research in a box and put it in a cupboard and it and it moved with me it moved through various different houses through various different lives um and I kept sometimes I'd take the box out um and then I'd just put it back in again and, and didn't do anything with it um and then sadly in uh 2014 uh, my grandpa died um aged 93 um so he had a good life he had a really good life and um, we still miss him but we were sorting through his things and and my grandma on my dad's side went into a nursing home in a similar time and was sorting through her things and there were these bundles of photos and documents and I just felt like I needed to tell their story and I needed to sort of collate and archive and bring it to life for my siblings and for their children and so that it continues down those generations. Yeah. So lucky, so lucky to have had that experience with your grandparents and your grandmother talking you through the story. Because I wonder, there's almost a generational thing. My gran was the same. She knew everybody, all the connections, the marriages, the relationships. And then when she went, it was like at age 93 as well. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it was like, okay, my mom and my older sister are probably the closest in, in, in knowledge to the whole family tree, but nothing like my gran. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we can tell now we're losing it because when I'm looking at, at, you know, I've got a snippet of a story and I'll share it with my siblings and I'll say, do you remember anything about this? And somebody will say, you yeah, know, wasn't there a story about a 
a farm and a horse that was incorrectly split between children or something. And we're, we're racking our brains to try and pull these little snippets of things that we heard as a child. And I, I had a wonderful one um, about a year back. I had a DNA match um, about third cousinish, and he didn't have a tree and I couldn't figure him out. It wasn't a name that I knew and I've done most of my third cousins so I, I sort of know where they are. And um, so I got in touch with this guy and he was a older guy and he said that he had been adopted and he was trying to find out, um, uh, you know, before it was too late, who his mother might be. And um, so we were looking at the DNA matches and I figured out sort of where it was. And I pulled out an, one of the old pieces of wallpaper backing paper that has carried with me. And there was this half cousin who had a little line coming down from it. Didn't have anything beneath it, but it did have a little line, which meant there was a child there somewhere. Um, and um, got talking to another sort of second cousin and he remembered a story of her turning up on a doorstep of a sister with a child a baby and then going back away again and the baby never been seen again so we reckon that we've mapped that guy's mother to being this um this this half cousin who went off a bit wild proved by an old piece of wallpaper backing with a little pencil line that my grandma had um scribbled on there good heavens what was his reaction when you had that conversation um, he was just delighted because he was getting on a bit and he yeah. thought there was no chance of now of him ever being able to work out the direction to come. And I was able to give him details of cousins of his who were still alive and, 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 and a photograph of not of his mother, but of his grandmother that I'd had in the in the sort of archives that I'd had here. So, of course, I've solved this lifelong question he had about who his birth mother could have been. I got goosebumps right there. It was just, that's a beautiful story. Mm. That has to be the thing that just makes you go, I'm going to keep on going, keep on digging and digging. <laughs> so now you also have, there, there's another, tell me about the woman in your family, because I know that is a big driving thing that, that has moved you forward. Yeah, so I have taken a decision to really follow the women. It, it's something that I do in my research. Um, my grandma is, you know, I started this story with my grandma. She's, she was a really big influence in my life. Um, and um, we, w w the, quite a few of my family have been widowed when they're young. And as a result, we have these really wonderful, strong, competent women that have come through, told their stories and really sort of thrived actually um through adversity and so it's always felt to me like if I can frame it through the women if I can tell their stories if I can bring them to life so they're not just wife of daughter of mother of um there was a there was a uh, she's a three times great grandmother of mine Mary Ann Gill and um as far as the background research was she was daughter of William Gill. She was a wife of, oh, I can't remember her name, it was a Scot, but, um, and, and she just, you know, she was completely non-existent except for a, a, a child, a wife, a mother. Mm -hmm. And then I was doing some really hard Googling around a village that she lived in and um, came up with this history that was written in the 1970s of the village. 
Um, and in it, there was this wonderful little snippet where it said that the blacksmith's wife, once a year when all the tradesmen came to, and the farmers came to pay the bills to the, to the blacksmith, that she'd bake this old spice cake. And, and suddenly she became a woman who, you know, who baked, who supported her husband, who was engaged in his business, who was sort of really kind of driving a family. And she became a real woman instead of just... Yeah. A connection to the men in the wife so I, I I started framing everything through the women I follow the women first and I uh, I use their maiden names so all the women in my family aren't known by their uh by their married names at all in my tree they're known by their maiden names and this is it's like it's it's really really useful because I have three George and Mary Housemans in my tree my grandparents were George and Mary Housemans uh, my great-grandparents were George and Mary Houseman, and the bit where my uh, grandma and granddad joined together, George and Mary Houseman. Yeah. Um, but if I switch it around and go, it's Mary Houseman and George Houseman, it's Mary Abigail Clapham and George Houseman, it's, yes. it's Mary Grange and George Houseman, then they become sort of individual couples and individual people, and I can really help sort of tell them apart. Yeah. And are those the are those the the women you're particularly focusing on? Those those three? I want I just want you to tell me about all of them from the beginning. Yeah, no, well, I do. So I was I was trying to um uh when I joined uh, Natalie's club and it, it was about helping me to tell these stories better. And you know we you and I were you gave this wonderful session about how to change things around. And I was sort of working on, uh, uh, I'm looking up there because I've got all my sort of family tree up on the, on the side of them. Mm. And, and I was working on this couple and I was working on Elizabeth Furness and George Downs. And they're my two times great grandparents. They mm. lived in uh, the village of Darley, which is near Harrogate, which is, it's a beautiful village, um, but it was very sort of insular and everybody was a farmer and a farmer and a farmer. And I was like, what on earth am I going to write about Elizabeth and George? And um, sort of lucky things and, and and as I sort of turned around and researched and I looked and, and she was widowed young and I was like that again sparks my imagination always come back to the widows yeah. and um and I was reading the will and in the will quite unusually for uh, that community in that time in the sort of 1870s um, George left the farm or at least the tenancy if it could be transferred to Elizabeth he didn't leave it to his oldest son or even his second son. Um, and it didn't look like they'd been written out because his eldest son was the executor on the will and was due to inherit after Elizabeth died. Mm. He left it to Elizabeth. Mm. And she lived, I think, another 30 years. And she took that farm and she she grew it in size. It was nearly doubled in size. And it had obviously really thrived the whole way through. And, and just to sort of watch that uh, transformation that Elizabeth then took her life forward in a way that we can sort of see how she just sort of grew and really sort of mm. as a person and as a competent farmer and as a mother and sort of taking that forward but I still she lived till about 1910 something like that and I'm really really certain there must be a photo of her somewhere because you know by 1910 people were taking these photos yeah. right she mm. must be on some grandchild's in some chocolate box in some <laughs> cupboard and I just like I'm, I'm, I'm desperately trying to search and see if I can find a photo of Elizabeth because she just is an incredible woman um 
And the town archives, the the old the newspapers, there would be nothing in. Have you looked in all of those? I've been through all the newspapers. She married a Downs, so it's and there's a lot of Downs in Darley, and right. I'm related to about half of them because it's yeah. it's Darley, um, and there's nothing coming through. But I'm 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 talking to the local. Uh, there's a bit of a heritage history group, or there was, and so a woman's got all the stuff from that and trying to see if she's going to try and hunt through and see if there is anything um, that she can find from there. And then I suppose my next step is to try and trace some descendants and see if any of them have photos that, that yeah. they might not have identified. Yeah. So so when you find these, these because because I just have to have to add that you, you you're not by trade professional genealogist, you are you digging into your family story with such tenacity <laughs> that all of these stones are going to be uncovered so when you contact relatives that you just found either through a dna match or through just through what your grand told you how does that conversation go it's like hello we're related <laughs> it is a bit and especially if it's through something like facebook or um uh finding them on the internet so it's actually made me realize quite how much you can identify people who are living now if you really sort of try hard with your research um, I've found that if people haven't privatized all their friends on Facebook and you look and you see all the people with the same surname you can work out which one of the not quite which one of the John Smiths but I'm fortunate that my surnames aren't like that so so you can find them out and I was I was trying to um Elsie Moody, who who I mentioned earlier, so that that family tree, there were there were four children. Um, one died young, one um, was childless um, in the marriage, and then there was a son who had one child, um, Christopher. And I was trying to sort of identify that strand just to see if there was any anyone that was was still alive so that I could cross check some things and we had a funny story about potential illegitimacy in that in that branch yeah. um and it actually took it, it, it I was able to find because he he works um at a university and he'd had a university page up with something published which had a middle name which clocked with the middle name of that so I reached out to him through a mutual contact I had at that same university yeah. and it was a very weird email I had to write to a a, a a charity contact I had of mine so it was a, a professional contact I had and said um what do you mind forwarding this onto this person who works at your university um because I think we're half cousins or third cousins or something and I really want to get in touch with them um and it it works because people are intrigued by the story and they're they're intrigued that you've managed to to, to sort of find your way to them through through that sort of route have you ever had somebody go I just don't want to know um not through no I don't think I have actually I mean you do on Ancestry you do on some of the DNA matches they'll just go no and or they just don't answer basically mm -hmm. that's the, the the sort of uh bit which is can be slightly frustrating if you think mm -hmm. you're pretty certain you know where they fit and you just want to tick that last box mm -hmm. um but in the main people are very receptive um you know I I my mum's husband is um his father was from Canada and he, he didn't grow up with him and he was always intrigued about his Canada family mm -hmm. and so I did some research and managed to find a 
half cousin on Facebook and they've been like Facebook messaging like ever since sort of sharing mm -hmm. stories of this father that my mum's husband never knew um and sort of and, and pictures of of grandparents or great-grandparents that that, that that yeah my mum's husband just couldn't have got hold of in any other way yeah the technology is so available now but it's also I guess going in with a mindset that some people will be doing their DNA just to know their the ethnicity I mean but not necessarily why would, I just I just think that's so sad because like why would you get this oodles of information that can unblock things I've got there's, there's one I'm working on at the moment there's a there's a woman um called Carol who uh is up in Nidderdale where my entire family's from Nidderdale, Wolfdale, Washburn Valley so very Yorkshire um and um she and I are too close to DNA match for what we think there's some seventh eighth great grandparents and um, we can't quite connect them but the king's up in the same area so they they, they probably are but the dna match is much closer than that um and my mum matches with it my third cousin down one particular side matches with it her cousin and her mum's cousin match so the, there's a sort of we know there's something there and she has a illegitimate two times great grandmother um, and uh, so we've been trying to map that, and I'm fairly convinced it's my three times great grandfather, Henry Barrett, who moved to the area sometime between 1871 and 1877 um, as a single gamekeeper. He got married in about 1877, and this woman, this illegitimate great great grandfather, grandmother, was born in 1876. And I am fairly convinced that um, that 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 my three times great grandfather is the illegitimate father of uh, that woman. Right. Now, you, you talk about when it comes to illegitimacies and, and affairs and all sorts, when you do your research, how sure are you that you've got the right people? At what point do you go, I'm just going to say yes? <laughs> Um, well, this Henry Barrett one, I'm sure there must be some evidence in like call or records or something in the parish records or something that I can do that can place them a bit more in closer proximity. But there's another one that was uh, that's rather fun that is she was the only illegitimacy in my line up, um, in the up to four times great grandparents. She was a so she was a blocker. She was called Elizabeth Dean um, and she got married I think in about the 1870s um, in Bradford uh, her marriage certificate was blank for the father and uh, she only lived through one census um, and that one census said Lancaster and so all I had to go on was um, a woman called Elizabeth Dean who was born in Lancaster apparently at a particular time and I was like you know what on earth do I do with this really mm -hmm. shut this one off can't go any further with it and then I was like, no, 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 Natasha, you have to keep going on this stuff, right? You have to, like, there's got to be some way of unlocking this. And I, I, I sort of clocked on a plan, a research plan to uh, basically look for Elizabeth Deans mm -hmm. in an earlier census that were living with just a mother, i.e. there wasn't a father called Dean in the family because there wouldn't have been if she was illegitimate. And I sort of narrowed it down to two or three in the... 1861 census I think it was and so I was following those two or three to the 1871 census and I uh, came across this, this woman that was called or this girl sorry that was called Betsy Deer so Elizabeth Dean 
Betsy dear okay maybe 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 and then she turned out to have a stepfather who was called uh, Thomas Butterworth. Now I had been doing some further research on Elizabeth Dean's son who I'd always known as Thomas Booth and found out that for a period of his life he was Thomas Butterworth Booth and it was like that's got to be the one. There is no way that is not the same person that has flown through the family. You know, the, the, the woman grew up in a, with a stepfather and, and used his name for, his, for her child. And it's just, that's the point when you go, yeah, tick, tick, tick. It's not going to be anything other than that story, than, than, than that link. Yeah. Now, I, I want to ask two questions because I don't want, to, I don't want them to float, float out of my head. <laughs> first of all, we're going to talk about census. You mentioned census a few times. So I, I want to first of all talk about that. And then the next question, remind me, because I really want to go back to this, is you have a very special way of, of handling gaps in a story. And I want, I want to get to that next. I might have to take notes. <laughs> but first of all, let's talk about the census. You mentioned that a few times. So for some people listening who are maybe just considering getting into the family research, um, explain census, how you use them, um, how often they come up. Explain how census works. Census works. So uh, the census came out every 10 years. Uh, started in first ones that we've got most of are 1841 through to 1911 very excitingly 1921 is coming out imminently next year um we've got a few questions that are ready to kind of tick off the boxes on um with that one and um so i uh and and they really they help confirm things as you're going through you know you're sort of like okay that's I think the woman I'm looking for, there's a, the parents, there's the children, and yes, it's the same in 1851, 1861, you know, same mix of children, same ages, same sort of rough birth dates. Um, but what I find sentences have been magic for is kind of unblocking things, particularly where they have like a grandparent or a nephew or a niece or a something. Mm -hmm. And if you can then help identify and match that uh, odd person, in the census into the family tree it can sort of unlock a whole different swathe of people that are around um but i have to i do have to take care because you know with ultimate with i don't know six george housemans living in a, a particular area or at the moment one i'm on is there were three david wellets born in a 18 month period within a 20 mile radius of each other and it's like which david wellock is the david wellock that i am looking for and it's not even like wellocks are a, a, a common name I, I, I went through the, the there's like only 1200 born in the last sort of 150 years and yet there were three in in the one space it's there and they weren't related there was just one that you were looking for and the other there was just one I was looking for I'm sure the other two are related um and and so somehow because there aren't that many Wellex and it's a very place specific name um so just in the same way that I'm related to all the housemans in Yorkshire, mm. um, the uh, the Wellicks are, are, are another one of those. So I, I'm pretty certain I can match all three in, but you sort of, so then you're trying to get the censuses from the next 10 years and the next 10 years and, and see if you can piece the families together. Have they got the same siblings, the same brothers and sisters that you're expecting? Does the birthplace sort of track through from them um, and, and pinpoint it right? Yeah. And so when the, 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 the type of information you'd find in a census, it is related to who is in that particular house? Yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, I actually, you know, there's, there's 
there's two things that the locations are interesting as well but um so I look at who's in the household and um often I'll look at who's in the houses nearby as well that that can sometimes especially because my family's so concentrated yeah. in particular villages in in Yorkshire um so I found um I was looking for I was trying to write a story about the uh, women paupers in my family um, because to bring them to life to to, to the sort of things and, and I found on the same sheet that there was um, the husband and wife were living separately and um, they were both in their sort of 70s and ill and one was working and one wasn't and then on that same page there was also a niece and a, and a, and a, and a somebody else so I find if you look at the page as a whole um, or perhaps the page before and the page after mm-hmm. that can sometimes give some insight into you know did or or you spot that the the couple lived in the same village you know you, you find one you find the other and you realize they're just like one page ahead of each other you're like yep yeah, that's probably how they met um so using it that way as well but the um oh, I forgot what I was going to say something about localities and locations with the census no I've forgotten that one sorry you can cut that bit out Kaya <laughs> that's always good. No, I'm not probably going to leave it in because that's what happens mid story. It's like, oh, no, let me. No, hang on. Well, let's plug the gap with this. <laughs> you go down one rabbit, Warren, and you may actually, yeah, this is such a fascinating story. And, and I want to add on this bit to it. And then you <laughs> sort of need to get back to the original piece. And that's the nature of digging up your family's story, right? Anyway, you there are rabbit holes by the bazillion. <laughs> but now I want to, before. Um, I, in fact, no, to, to follow my second question that I wanted to answer, I, you, you've told me a, a lot about George and Elizabeth, mm. um, but you have a, a way of plugging the gaps that I just love because we can't get all of the facts and information about somebody uh, because it's the generation's gone and there are gaps in history and that's just the fact of it. So tell me about your process of really bringing these people to life and filling the gaps where you can. What do you do? So uh, I spend quite a bit of time understanding the village or the place that that these people lived and the similarities or similar stories that are going on around it and dig into, get the maps out, dig into the actual village and and wherever it is. And then you can suppose things. Um, You can sort of talk about the bit in the middle that is um, the the, the things that might have happened through that period of time so George and Elizabeth for example I I, I worked out when the railway came to the village and sort of added a little line about you know where people were taking day trips out to Harrogate or to the nearby spaces and you can imagine that that's what they did at that particular time Mm. and it's a sort of faction at the end of the day you're sort Mm. of adding in some local color or story that 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 really helps make them be people Mm. Um, and I suppose the other thing that I do is I then reconnect them back to my life or back to my experience Mm. so um or you know my mother's experience so Elizabeth was a young farmer's widow my mother was a young farmer's widow I know what that feels like I know what the emotions are and the things that you want to think about and if you then take George and Elizabeth and you put them straight into your life or how they've come down into you or how they connect to you and it makes a 
much more beautiful story for the family to then take forward. And suddenly it isn't just George and Elizabeth's story, it's George and Elizabeth and Natasha's story. Um, And then for the next generation, they will see me through this story in a way that I didn't think was possible when I first started writing. I thought I was writing about them, but actually I'm very much writing about my experience of them and, 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 and what I'm experiencing and drawing that into the same tale. Yeah. It's because I suppose when we're doing doing the research and we're just looking for the facts, it's 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 a difficult the, the bridge only happens when you do realize that you're connected in your genes mm. and your personalities, your beliefs, your nose. <laughs> it yeah. is, you know. I mean, it is just like you know. I I, I guess that it is back to that widow thing that goes through in our family. I mean, it's not just my mother. I was also a young widow and it just you know it's sort of I I almost think like widowhood is in our genes which sounds totally ridiculous not something that um (laughs) you know you know half the married population get widowed because the other half get widowed right it's kind of it's it's not unusual but this women coming through um adversity through young widowhood and moving on and turning their lives around is just it's a theme that follows through all of the the women that I sort of trace down in the family or that I get most addicted to following um so there was there's there's another one there's Hannah Domain who is my um I think she's a three times great grandmother and I had a snippet of information that I'd written down as a child and the snippet, I didn't even know her name at that point, she was just Mrs. Cooper. Um, and the snippet of information was uh, uh, married twice, um, second husband much older. And that that literally was the sentence I carried from when I was a child. And she, so she was one who caught my imagination fairly early on and actually I haven't written up her story, I really must do that um, because I really wanted to be able to track down this, Mrs. Cooper, who turns out to be Hannah Domain. And her second marriage was relatively easy. She married when she was about 36, um, she to somebody who was 57 or something like that. So there really was that substantive age gap there um, and had two children and sort of kept on alive. And she was married as uh, that that marriage certificate when I ordered it was Hannah uh, Laycock. So L-A-Y-C-O-C-K. And so, right. Okay, I'm looking for a Laycock. We will search around that bit. Searching through the GRO databases for a Laycock, um, a Hannah Laycock that got married in any sort of period before then. And it uh, uh, and there was nothing sort of coming through. Uh, the census, um, that I found the census from the, the previous bit and it had a, her name on, which was on the census, I think it was spelled L-O-C-O-C-K. So that was like, oh, right there's different spellings of this name I need to broaden it out ended up um it was Hannah Lowcock so she married a Timothy Lowcock L-O-W-C-O-C-K um and he'd basically they'd got married in uh on the first of January in 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 a year and he had died within nine months and so like it had um so he doesn't so he was hard to track because of how little time he Mm. spent in in married life Mm. and but just watching for those different 
variations of a laycock or a lowcock or a, a lowcock to be able to kind of get through to 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 Hannah and you know she's another beautiful story of a woman who she got married in her early 20s and then widowed within a year and she went back to live with her parents and it felt like that she you know I don't know this this much older man when she got married in her late 30s that doesn't necessarily sound like it's a complete love match but then when he died she was left with another 20 years where she was bringing up her two girls and really sort of transforming her lives and uh, you know ultimately led to me and she's the one who has that little snippet of information that I remembered and she really helped to hone my research skills actually because of all the sort of abbreviations of names and different slightly different towns than I was used to um, I really sort of bring her to life she's the next story I need to write up um, definitely. Oh my gosh so hang on we've, we've I know you said that there are a few of your favorite stories that's one of them Hannah is definitely one of them yeah I can just hear it I can see it in your face as you're talking about these people <laughs> what other stories really come to mind in terms of just that you love them or that they were just really hard to to dig into the the one that um I've always loved is Walter Scott um so um so I've got to talk about a boy actually not a woman um which um you know it's pretty sort of different in my family tales but so the Walter Scott's story um came down the generations we have this very large uh picture it's a it's essentially a photo that's been tinted up and it's about a meter high in a big gilt frame oh, wow. and it um and it 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 it, it was in our living room when we grew up still at my mum's house I've agreed with my siblings that I'm the one who's going to inherit this this photo um I'm not sure where I'm going to fit like a meter high big <laughs> gilt frame thing in a small two-bedroom flat but you know it's 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 um but it's mine it's, it's going to be there <laughs> and, and it and it came down with the story um this was a boy who was born in 1893 and in 1900, uh, tragically, because my grandma likes all the tragic stories, um, he was killed by his friend with a shotgun. Oh. And it was, uh, and this is, so this big, bold photo of this beautiful boy and this snippet of information just makes him our favourite character in the family. And so really sort of digging into, I was able to get newspaper articles. Um, I've got a copy of the inquest report. And then I found in a box of documents, a letter that, um, so Walter Scott was the um, brother of my great grandmother, um, Hilda Mary Scott. And um, uh, I found this letter from the sister of Hilda, Gertrude, that had written to my dad when he'd inherited this big picture, which tells all the story of how Walter was a beautiful child and a traveling photographer came to the village and really wanted to take the boy's photo and, uh, and, and then decided that the photo was so beautiful that he wanted to blow it up. He asked for five pounds off the family to get this sort of blown up to a big size and um, which was a lot of money in, in those days and they agreed to do it and then he took this photo through a traveling exhibition so it didn't come back to the family for about a year and that and that and that uh, you know so he's obviously sort of a very charming wonderful child mm -hmm. and then he went to stay with his aunt um, and asked to go out and play in the barn with his friend 
um, went to the uh, barn with his friend. There was a shotgun that was lying around from being shooting rats. And his friend picked up the shotgun and picked up the shotgun and, and sort of turned around and said, I can shoot you. And it was never meant to be anything other than a child's game. Um, but sadly, kind of did. And it was loaded, been left lying around. And poor Walter, um, I believe he lasted long enough for his mother to join him, from what I can gather from the inquests, um, but didn't survive the day. Um, and so it's such a beautiful story and it comes with this big, bold picture and it, it just sort of transforms down the generation. Walter is the one family story that I just, is genuinely my favourite one. Oh, how old was he when this happened? Seven. Oh, you're breaking He was the seven. Oh I know. Goodness. And it's been, it was funny because the newspaper article in the inquest actually all they sort of said slightly different things. So um, when I got the newspaper article, it was a 14 year old boy called something. And then actually when I dug into the um, actually inquest details, it was a different boy's name and he was slightly younger. And you, you've got to think not just of Walter. I mean, Walter and his family, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy and we, and we carry it and we still talk about it. But what about that poor yeah. boy who picked up the shotgun? Yeah. I mean, he, he could have never imagined that, that that was what was going to happen and and that boy would be the one who in fact I should put him on my list of research because I was going to say have you looked into his story I haven't I haven't actually just talking it through with you I really ought to um research him and see if that story travels down his family um in that same way yeah what actually happened to him his I mean that would that is a life-changing thing no matter how Mm. but you say how old was he when 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 that happened I think he was about 10 or 12 so he was a slightly older friend but but still a child you know still a child absolutely a child old enough to really understand what what just happened goodness me oh okay you got to find that out and then let me know yes yes (laughs) definitely ready to put well Scott yes that is an incredible that is okay okay no, I feel like I just want to sit with Walter for a little bit. I can understand now why you want that picture in your house. That's important. Absolutely. Yeah. It's actually interesting. It's also helped me unlock a photo album. So I inherited a photo album down that 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 train and, and you know, sadly didn't think to get my grandma to write. I, I, I did on, I've, I have on some photos, fortunately, when we were kids, I wrote some stuff on the back, but this particular photo album, I didn't. Um, and this photo of Walter is in that album. And it so it places that, okay, that must be his parents that are at the front of the album because there he is in, in with the, you know, the other babies and children in the right sort of era and the right sort of age. Mm-hmm. So it's really helped me unlock the rest of a photo album as well. Goodness me. Oh, that's, in, that's incredible. That's a, that's a sad, sad story. But it does, even at seven years old, I... You know what actually really gets me when I think of family stories? Because here you are researching the seven-year-old child who died under tragic, tragic circumstances. Our ancestors never imagined that we would be so fascinated in their lives, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it goes to wonder, you know, in a hundred years, are people going to be looking into our lives as curiously as we are looking into theirs? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and we're leaving, potentially leaving so much more of a trail as well. You know, because we we've got so much more, so many more photos, so many uh, you know written documentation, all the social media. If all that is accessible in the future, yeah. you've got so much more color and and information about about us. Hopefully, that they would have 
in the future and then it'd be about curating it because who wants to go through sort of you know if you have three photos of an ancestor that's brilliant if you have a box full of a hundred it's kind of it's not quite the same no it's not <laughs> but no, I think the good thing about current times is that I think we are we as, as a culture and a society we're very aware about leaving a legacy and being remembered so I think we're probably consciously doing more or unconsciously doing more than our ancestors ever did. I think we are. And um, I think we're even doing it with older generations. So for my grandma's 80th birthday, my sister bought her a notebook, just a sort of exercise type book with a smart cover. And grandma goes, what do I do with this? And she was like, write your life, grandma. And um, so, and so I've got this, we've got this sort of handwritten account of, grandma's life uh, which I have subsequently typed up complete with the uh, let's just say grandma didn't have years and years of schooling and she had a very idiosyncratic spelling approach um, but she was a beautiful writer you know she used to write poems um, she used to write uh, little sort of plays and entertainments for the young farmers and so now by the, just this simple act of buying this notebook for my grandma writing it I do have a really lovely story of her sort of first eight years on this earth yeah in her own handwriting in her own words that's powerful right there that's beautiful huh. let me talk yes. a little bit about it's def- oh. hey, sorry carry on no I was just gonna say it's definitely grandma's words because it always starts yeah, with, <laughs> on a sad occasion it was another sad occasion grandma always had lots of sad occasions lots of sad occasions that's so funny <laughs> you do you read the words you can hear the person <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my sister, oh, was it one of my sisters? I think my older sister as well had given my gran a notebook. And the first lines were, I was given this notebook and told that I had to write my story. So here you go. <laughs> it's literally just like, I have to insist. <laughs> and we've got- He's kind of like, yeah, we do. Yes. You might not want to do it, but we want it. So, want to know. Yeah. yeah, but even still, I am always kind of plagued. Oh, plagued is the wrong word, but, but I do- the the loss of all those memories that just go when we lose these history keepers in the family you know it's like yeah. as, as as you as a history keeper in your family really need to be keeping records of everything so that you could make sure somebody else can pick it up and so you go absolutely and it's actually what's made well apart from the pandemic so when the pandemic kicked in last year family history became a bit of a lifesaver because you can do an awful lot of it online and it really was the thing that kept me sane connected me to the family but this year and it really made me realize I needed to get this stuff right so this year I I pushed myself to start a blog I don't feel like I'm a natural storyteller I don't feel like I'm a natural writer and I was also and I'm also super conscious that I don't want this stuff to be lost and so I started trying to write a blog at the beginning of the year and it's probably why you know we met because I'm trying to improve the the stories and tales we do and it's been beautiful you know the family really loved those stories and and it's bringing our ancestors to life for them it's going to be fairly easy to copy and paste those all into somewhere so that that they have them in the future but it's also very shareable I you know my what she half cousin third cousin can't remember what still sort of connects to the family and she's been sharing them with her mother mm. who would have been my dad's cousin so she's my half cousin sorry so you remember and her mother has just been a mother 
it's probably in the 70s, I think now, has just been loving hearing these stories of, of her ancestors. And they sent me a photo of she still wears her mother's wedding ring, which would be my grandma's sister's wedding ring. And she sent me the photo of that, like, on her finger. So, again, it kind of takes the story that is the ancestor's story mm-hmm. and connects it really into our story before you bring it to the, the, the next generation and beyond. Oh, it's a beautiful thing you're doing. I want to get practical for a little minute. I want to talk about the tools that you use. You've mentioned briefly ancestry. <gasps> Wait, before we do that, I've got one more question. You mentioned on the family start, you mentioned the paupers, the pauper woman. I think that was exactly the yeah. word. Tell yeah. me about that. That entered my head and went, Park, got to get that. Tell me about that. So, so I've been doing this um, 52 ancestors hints thing to help me with the blogs. And, and, and there was a hint that was fortune. And um, look, we, we're not a family with fortunes. We're smallholder farmers in the main. Um, so I turned it around, went for, right, what's the opposite of fortune? Let's go for the paupers. And um, I've sort of, and so I just picked out basically three pauper women in my family to try and just turn them into at least a paragraph, right? At least a paragraph of what they are. And, and one of them led me to, you know, this woman who was in her 70s, still working, her husband was somewhere else dying, you know, that was one of them. But the saddest one, or, or not quite the saddest one, but the one I really wanted to bring to life is, 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 is my seven times great grandmother at, at one side, where the only documentation that I can find about her anywhere is, is four words it says wid swindon buried pauper and that is like literally i can't find a marriage certificate so i can't break open who she is you know i can't find anything else and it just felt so important to me like she existed right we know that um she 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 gave birth to children and, and literally the only thing she's left documented in this world is is those four words so even just to be able to give her a paragraph right give her a paragraph in a blog acknowledge her existence and kind of sort of turn that into it wasn't much of a story that it literally was a paragraph but turn her into a real person that now won't be forgotten in future generations yeah because when they say buried (coughs) does that even mean you wouldn't even know where she was buried yeah, so you know, it would be in the church graveyard, but it would be in the poor slots and you know, chucked in the ground. So not, um, not even a headstone or anything like that. Not a headstone, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, um, and um, you know, did her children even know she was buried? I don't know because they'd moved to not very far away, but but you know, ten miles or so, which which is quite a big distance. Why wasn't she living with her children at the time? You know, why was she? just in in or at least from the church she was buried into where her children lived it's unlikely she was living with her children at that time and so she was obviously kind of you know scraping living off poorly scraping pennies here or there chucked in the ground when she was buried with not even you know the priest didn't even write widow it was like wid swindon yeah um so she has become wid swindon that is her name now so she is to me she is a real person um um yeah oh good heavens Okay. All right. I'm Only so glad you're writing all of this family. down because this is such a huge story. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, okay. So now, now we can get practical. I just didn't want to lose that gem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you've talked a bit about ancestry. Uh, what are the other tools? And you've talked about the census. What are the other tools that you use to find all of this incredible information? 
So I start with essentially like free BMD and the DRO index and the censuses so I can get the as much information about the births, marriages and deaths of, of people that we can. Um, ancestry, not that I wanted to particularly like, photo, it, it is the tool I use as, mm. as my online tree and it does have quite a lot of, I'm lucky it has quite a lot of parish records from the places that I'm interested in. But I've actually found that um, archive.org, um, which has all of the books or a lot of old books scanned, has quite a lot of the parish registers from again from some of the villages that I'm interested in were published by the Yorkshire Historical Society in like the 1800s and so now you can get to them on archive.org and you're, and, and, and you're not you're not paying for them in that way. Mm. Um, I am also very lucky that there are a couple of I would say Google's your friend because I have found um, for example there's a site called calvary.info and it has transcripts of all the parish registers um, for uh, several villages in Yorkshire, and particularly the Nidderdale is really well covered. So that that site I can always go and and it helps because then I can do a full sweep. So I can go right, how many Thomas Housemans were born in this period? Is it likely that there could be more than one that I get confused on? That's quite important. Um, in terms of uh, putting it through um, and there's another one there's a one called wolfgen.org.uk who is mapping the sort of Nidderdale, Wharfdale, River Valley um, with with again with all the sort of birth marriages and deaths and, and big genealogical tree and that's really good when I get stuck because um, you're looking for a bit of an unlock it's where I, I had in another brick wall which is an Isabella Ward um, and couldn't unlock it. Uh, Thomas Wellock was married to Isabella Ward, couldn't go further back than Isabella Ward. And then Wharf Jen had the, a second marriage to another Isabella. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when I did the research behind it, it, turns out that the second Isabella, Isabella Preston, was my ancestor, and I can go back further. So I would really say look out and hunt for um, the, the work that other people have been doing, um, which helps you track the births, marriages, deaths, census and get the genealogical data right Mm. Um, and then uh, it's going back for me it's uh, looking for particularly old books Um, so there's this guy called Harry Spite who wrote in the late 1800s and he did geography, history, social history related people and places around Nidderdale and Dwarfdale, the two rivers of things and I often go back to I've got copies of those now I found them secondhand um, and I often go back to those and say what was happening in that village how did he describe the village in the 1800s what names is he talking about what history has he brought in and and that can provide some really interesting snippets and that's for the place that I live in but I'm pretty certain that in a lot of places that people are researching there's those kind of local history books or older um, accounts written that would be around the time that your ancestors are there. And that just brings a lot of flavour and colour to, to, to what it is that I'm doing. So those those probably, are, I, I've been too much online in this last 18 months, as we all have. Um, and I guess the sort of, of the final tool is really just to get out into those churchyards and places. Um, you know, it's the census returns we, we talked about earlier, um, by reading the 
cover page there's a sort of cover page in the census of a block of censuses and you can often broadly work out the path that the census person followed mm-hmm. um and it's and and if you take that and you go to the place i i went up to this place called little london in near wakefield it's a mining village and i was able to kind of walk down the street and actually get to the house that i thought my i think that was two or three times great grandparents lived in um so that it's not a tool as such but getting out into to those areas actually really helps bring those people and stories to life yeah you can just imagine the only thing separating you from them is just is just time you were standing there they were standing there except for time you would be meeting Ooh, I love that I've always been too scared to knock on the door, though. Um, I, yeah. I really must do that another time. Oh, I'm like, you haven't done that. <laughs> no. I don't know. There's one thing contacting people through like Facebook or social media and saying you don't know me, but I think we're related. There's another thing knocking on somebody's door and going, you don't know me, but my ancestors used to live in this yes. house. Can I look around? Yeah. There you. <laughs> you would get some such strange looks. <laughs> but you never know. You never know who. You know, you never know. You say, well, I don't know if that's possible because I inherited this from my, from my, from my, and suddenly you find that you're related. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, what is next for you on your, on your research and your journey? So definitely working out uh, the Henry Barrett illegitimate child. I have to, that's my current, like, I've got to land this brick wall. Mm-hmm. I'm actually thinking about uh, widening out into a one name study. Um mm-hmm. So somebody's done the Housemans, uh, there's the Houseman.info site, a guy called Gary Houseman, my grandma gave him a load of stuff, you know, uh, and that's a great resource. So I sort of feel like the Housemans are mapped. Um, but I mentioned the Wellicks earlier, there are, you know, 1,200 of them born in England and Wales while the, uh, the things are being registered. I've got 120 in my tree, so I've got 10% of the tree mm. already there. And it's such a place-specific name, and it's such a... You know, the Wellicks were my uh, thing. So my grampy's mother, so my mum's dad's mother was a Wellick. Um, the, um, his brother, my grampy's brother was actually called Henry Wellick Barrett. They kept the, you know, they did that lot of the naming conventions. Mm-hmm. And they had Canadian cousins. So some of their uh, uncles had emigrated to Canada and they used to come backwards and forwards. So the Wellick name has been a very strong part of my life, even though it's, a great even though it's a couple of generations back and and I'm really thinking about actually broadening out from my family and doing a full one name study and see if I can get to the bottom of these three David Wellicks born in the same one year period and it sounds like I think the great thing about what you're doing is that there's so much company to do it with so many other people will be building up the trees and doing the same thing it's not a lonely profession this isn't (laughs) It's it's really not, and and I'm forever meeting. Yeah, I, I, I through it was actually a DNA match with a half cousin, even though that half cousin went to school with my uncle. So it wasn't like it was completely outside of the village. He was obviously as geeky as I am, um, and we got in touch through the DNA bit because that's part of this. Is like you don't like some people aren't interested. What you need to do is find those other family geeky people that actually really get this, and then you can work together and you, you can much more quickly yeah. it's sort of learning to know whose research you trust yes. um because there's a lot of research online there's a lot of ancestry cheese there's a lot of people have copied 
other people's. But if you find, you know, I mentioned a couple of websites that I use, but also like Paul's, you know, Paul's research is really well done. So I can piggyback his tree because he's done that research well. Um, so finding people you can collaborate with is 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 really important. Yeah. And then they'll do things like, uh, you know, give you a picture of your three times great grandmother that you never knew was yeah. in existence, and you just Come like, on, wow. people. yes. <laughs> Brilliant. So what is your advice to people who are kind of on the verge of thinking, oh, I want to do this? What is your advice? Well, do it. I mean, I don't like I I uh it is it's such a phenomenal hobby. You can go down a I guess no, I'd say a bit of advice to start with is don't close your option down to start with you know try and push out whether you want to you know in all different directions mm. and then you start to find a branch or a theme or something that actually starts to interest you more or a, a village or a you know I'm actually interested in in this sort of area or I'm interested in finding everybody was alive at 1900 because I'm I like that part of history or mm. it, 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 there'll be some if you push it out you know get back to your sort of great grandparents great great grandparents there'll be something that starts to draw you and then uh sort of go with the flow um it just it builds and builds and 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 suddenly becomes a complete obsession um but but knowing that it's also a legacy project Mm because it won't just be for you if you do this work if you do sort of research into this and capture it properly someone in the future will take that forward just the way that I'm taking forward what my grandma captured um sort of 30 40 years ago yeah oh that's a powerful story now when we talk again because we're going to talk again I'm going to want to know the rest of Walter's story as well yes (laughs) yeah that's a new one that is definitely a new new one one. I need to add that one down so (laughs) Henry Barrett and Walter Scott but then I just need to find a few more women to add to it yes oh my gosh what a family story no i would love to talk again to find out your next steps the fuller story uh what you do with it because at the moment it's a, it's a blog and can we put the blog in the show notes yes yes do. brilliant okay so the link to the blog is in the show notes fantastic and um are you going to keep it as a blog are you going to do anything else with it so i'm trying to write uh, an almost Yorkshire story it's called um oh, which is a book it. and it, it it's it's a combination it, it it has chapters for each uh set of ancestors um as couples because I found it's easier to write them as couples yeah. with the sort of more genealogical story but then adding the blogs in as well so it's not a it's not like a complete novel it would be like it's almost like a set of discrete short stories um for each generation um so the blog will go into that and that that's very much um what I see as the legacy that mm-hmm. any one of my uh nephews nieces or their descendants can pick up and actually yeah. see enough of the research and the information so they can start that story from there yeah. well when that's ready send me the link because I'd love to put that in the show notes as well <laughs> Because you know what, even though some that will is, never be ready, never got be ancestors ready. and ancestors and ancestors, it's, it's like there's a hundred chapters in it, right? Because of the different generations that it can go back, and then then I'll get to another one. But it's uh, or rather, it'll never be final. Um, that, that but that's the beauty of family history stuff, right? 
you can keep going as long as you want to yeah i can just imagine you trying to publish a book on amazon it's like how many pages seven thousand three hundred yeah. <laughs> <laughs> softback please hardcover why not <laughs> they would probably not allow it oh my gosh it has been a treat such a treat talking to you oh, anything else any last minute just snippets or thoughts that come into your head before we go oh i don't want to go i know i feel like this yeah i mean i genuinely really love the family history stuff and being able to turn it this year into stories has been magical to get everything out um to people I, I suppose yeah the one last thing is quite how good it is as an icebreaker or an opener in conversations so I started a new job a couple of months ago and you know was interviewed in the pandemic interviewed in lockdown so starting to meet people if you explain that you're interested in family history and ask people their family history stories it just opens up a myriad of conversations and you don't even have to tell your own you just have to kind of open up and get them to tell yours and sorry tell theirs and it is it is just beautiful um as a way of getting to know people and i think you really do deeply get to know people because they will automatically tell their story their family story is a reflection of themselves but they won't have any of the hang-ups because they're not talking about themselves they're talking about their family their family yeah. i hadn't thought of that that's beautiful so in fact any 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 do that you're dreading to go to you make that your first not what do you do let's get rid of that question damn yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. tell me about your family ask, history. tell me about your family or tell, yeah or i, I often I, I basically just say look i'm a family history geek i'm really interested in people's stories yeah. i might give them one of mine and then say you know what's your family history <laughs> where you know and it just it goes in so many different directions it's it's wonderful i am going to do that i'm going to follow your lead thank you <laughs> that is just glorious oh my gosh a waffle free world this is it's natasha houseman her link to the blog is in the show notes we are going to be hearing more i think it'll be great fun to get um uh, you on the same show because i know that uh, you're working with natalie pithers so it'd be quite fun i think i just you know we're gonna have a group chat with Natalie and Michelle Leonard and you <laughs> piece yeah. of beautiful stories together. So um, next week, there will be more wild, weird, wonderful things from Waffle Free Storytelling. But in the meantime, thank you, Natasha. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank today. you, Tina. It's been wonderful just to be able to sort of talk through all of these stories and, and, and remind me I'm going to get straight back to the computer now and, and write up Hannah Domain's blog. Yes, good, good. Send me all of those links. And as you get new ones, send me more and we can just keep on building the show notes because it's a beautiful story. And I think it helps people who just want to do it by themselves know that it's very it takes tenacity and curiosity and a passion for the subject and then the rest is detail yes well done thank you natasha <laughs>